Well, welcome to the Pray for Surf podcast. This is Phil Miliarati, and looking forward to my conversation with my podcast buddy, uh, Mark Dillon. Mark, thanks for being patient while we were setting this up. Glad to be talking to you. Always a pleasure, Phil. Good to be here. Thanks. Uh, for somebody, if it's possible, there's someone who maybe this is the first time they found a Pray for Surf podcast, and they're not totally sure of who you are and what planet you come from. Give us a, a little bit of uh, what, what, what your Beach Boy connection is and anything else that you do that you'd like to say. Well, I'm a Toronto-based entertainment journalist and a longtime Beach Boys fan. And uh, when the 50th anniversary came around, I was dead set on writing a book, and so I did. It's called 50 Sides of the Beach Boys. It came out in 2012. You can find it... Uh, on Amazon and uh, iTunes, and there's also an audio book you can find at those places. And basically, it's a look back at uh, the career of the Beach Boys by focusing each chapter on one song and then talking to a different person about that song. So the Beach Boys themselves, their collaborators, rock stars from the 1960s, rock stars from today, and celebrity fans. Yeah, it was a great read. Uh, I loved it, and it still stands up today, uh, even though, you know, it's just a few years old, but uh, still a great read. And actually, our first podcast together was to talk about that book, and uh, we've done several since. And if someone hasn't heard that one, they can just search the Pray for Surf blog site and find it. We're going to talk about covers today. Uh, do you do you do you happen to know? We'll just start here. Do you happen to know how many covers the the Beach Boys did in terms of released, even by you know by the end of their career? I couldn't give you that number, but I could give you another statistic that's kind of go interesting. Ahead. Yeah, um, go ahead. So in the U.S., according to the Billboard charts, the Beach Boys have had uh, 36 top 40 hits in their career, and uh, you might be interested to know that six of them. Our covers. So, I mean, when we think of the great Beach Boys songs, usually we, we think of songs composed by Brian Wilson and co-written, you know, with uh, Mike Love and others. But uh, there there were a few uh, covers, and certainly their catalog is uh, filled with a lot of uh, a lot of interesting ones, which we'll be hitting on uh, during sure. this conversation for sure. Well, that's not a bad place to start. The stat I saw was, and this is an unofficial stat because it comes from the unofficial Wikipedia, but I didn't do. I didn't go and count, so they, they, they I, I did count their number that they identified. They may have missed some, but uh, they have 90 covers. Some, some of those were initially unreleased, but uh, have been released in some form, uh, you know, in the twofers or, you know, other kinds of uh, Beach Boy, Endless Harmonies, those kinds of things. So that's the, now their catalog is huge. I mean, how many groups have as many released songs as the Beach Boys? I don't know if there's any. Maybe they're number one. I don't know. If you know, just jump in. But 90 surprised me. That that was a large num larger number than I anticipated. What about for well, you? Well, that, that's eight or nine full albums right there. <laughs> exactly. Well, when we first started talking to each other about doing a cover conversation, one idea we had was to like put an album's worth together, but once it got going, it just seemed like that, you know, I don't know if that would really cover them all and no pun intended. So what we're going to try to do is a little bit of uh, like an award show, give awards for the best or worst or whatever. And we'll see how that goes. And we'll probably kind of sidebar off of there and just start talking about different songs. But maybe the best place to start is uh, I'm calling it the, um, you know, the best ever cover, uh, the one that belongs in the 
if you had a, in other words, Mark, if you had a top 10 list of the top 10 best Beach Boys songs, what cover would be in that top 10 or the closest to it? Now, I think as fans, we, we, we love most of their covers, uh, but from the, I'm not sure what we want to be. My, you decide what best means, but what, what would be your choice for that? Best cover. Come on, it's it's. There's only one, Phil. There's only one that could occupy this category, and it's Sloop John B. Okay. <laughs> full disclosure. Full disclosure. You and I have not compared notes, correct? No, we have not compared notes. Well, we may have uh, totally different reasons, but we have the same song. That that one is the exact one that I picked. How about why you did? Why did you pick that? Well, you know, this is a song that I remember being about eight years old, and it was my favorite song. I used to play this repeatedly because it just sounds so good. I mean, Brian took this old chestnut of a song, which dates back to 1916, if not longer. That's, I think, the, the as, as old as it's been documented to exist. But uh, this is an old, you know, Caribbean folk kind of song. And uh, I was familiar with another version. Uh, my dad liked, uh, I believe the singer's name is Jimmy Rogers, and he did yeah. an album... Uh, Sort of, sort of like Beach Boys party, kind of sitting around the campfire <laughs> and then strumming a few songs, and and that was one of them. But I mean, a very, you know, the, the versions that we've heard for the most part are very, very basic. I mean, it's it's fascinating to trace the history of this song, and uh, I remember finding a vocal performance from the 1930s that was probably closest in spirit to to the Beach Boys version than any others. But I mean, Brian made such a fantastic instrumental track, such a fantastic vocal track. There's there's parts where the, the instrumentation drops out and it's just vocals. I mean, it's a spine-tingling performance all around. I think one of Brian's best arrangements and uh, it's such a, such a hook-filled, catchy song. Well, I'm sure we're going to have to agree on something, disagree on something as we go along, but I, that's exactly my same thinking. Um, I was a little older than you, so I encountered it in real time when it came out and, uh, you know, loved it. But to me at that point, I was hearing it as a Beach Boy song, as a Beach Boy fan. Uh, but then what, what really did it for me is uh, Stack of Tracks. When it uh, came out, uh, the instrumental part on that, I'm not a musician, uh, but I, I love their music. I love music. I love Beach Boy music. You know, I can't tell you if this is a, um, middle eighth or a, you know whatever that kind of stuff but I just know what I like um, but when I heard that soundtrack um, playing on that little turntable I had uh, the word sonic comes to my mind obviously it's a sound but but it just had a different sonic sound to it it was like really all those instruments were in there all the time I've been listening to this you know top 10 hit kind of thing so Personal experience partly makes it my favorite, but I also think uh, for the reasons you talked about, uh, taking this cover and uh, we have another category called most transformative. This really would fit in that too. It it just transformed us. It's still that song, but it's just transformed it. Also, like I love the the text, the context to the text, the uh, the Al Jardine part. Um, you know, yeah, so he apparently brought, brought the idea to Brian with, uh, with a few uh, chord changes that uh, he was suggesting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, just that, that human element to it, especially from, you know, it's always Brian and Mike. And, of course, they wrote so many great songs together, not diminishing that at all, and, or Brian and someone else doing great different types of stuff. But here, it, uh, you know, I love all the, all the guys, but, uh, you know, Al and I had a couple of, three meetings over the years and and 
uh, so I, he's my friend. I don't know that I'm his. You know what I'm talking about. I'm still a fan. But just it kind of gives him a place. He didn't have a lot of leads at the time. Um, it, to me, it's just a cool story of, of the, the band doing this song and, of course, Brian doing a phenomenal vocal and instrumental. Yeah, I mean, Brian had more than a dozen of uh, the Wrecking Crew session musicians, you know, top top of L.A. Uh, session musicians working on this one. And there's glockenspiel and there's flutes and there's yeah. saxophone and, and Billy Strange on the 12-string guitar. It's uh, it's just phenomenal music that I, I never grow tired of listening to. Well, at least we started off agreeing. Let's see where we go from here. Next category in the award show of the Beach Boys with their covers is the most overachieving cover song. Now, do, you, do we need to talk about what that what we mean by overachieving, or at least what you sense that means? Or well, I guess uh, I, I interpreted it as something that was, you know, not not necessarily very ambitious, but uh, yielded ambitious results. And uh, for me, I picked Barbara Ann because it's a song. <laughs> so did I. Go ahead. Yeah. There we go. But anyway, <laughs> so I mean, just for me, um, you know, it's, it's a song that was kind of suggested off the cuff when they were recording uh, the Beach Boys Party album, and uh, they obviously had a lot of fun singing it. Dean Torrance sort of takes the lead falsetto working with Brian on that. It's very memorable. Uh, I'm sure for some people it's one of their most annoying songs, and uh, for some people it's it's one of their catchiest, but uh, you certainly can't forget the, the Ba 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 Bra brand. It's just, you know, the, the song, of course, existed years earlier, and Jan and Dean had covered it as well, but uh, there's just something about putting it in that context of, uh, you know, here we are just uh, strumming some of our favorite songs, singing and have a good time, having a party. You know, a lot of that were overdubs that were, were done afterwards, but uh, it really struck a chord with people. I think, you know, maybe the timing of that release, and it wasn't the Beach Boys' choice to release it as a single, it was the record company because it was getting airplay, I think, in places like Boston. And But, you know, it ended up being, I believe, a number two hit, uh, just as Brian was going to release Pet Sounds. So I think it reinforced, you know, the image of the Beach Boys as being a fun party band, you know, not not to be taken all too seriously. So I think there's a bit of surprise and, and even frustration that it, that it became a hit. I'm, I'm talking about from Brian's perspective. But nonetheless, it's a, it's a song that a lot of people love. It gave one of their hits, and they, they keep doing it in concert. Yep, can't uh, improve on what you just said. So uh, to me, definitely an overachiever, and I think on their part, totally unexpected. I, I wonder, uh, kind of a sidebar here, I don't, know if, I don't know if you know or have an opinion, I know that they did the party, they so-called slapped the party album together uh, just to uh, satisfy capital for, you know, Christmas kind of stuff. But I wonder if they thought any of the songs uh, would be hit singles. Any any uh, opinion on that, Mark? I don't think so. I don't, yeah, I, don't I, don't think, I don't think Brian would release a single like that. I don't think he would sort of slap together a single at that point in time. Like, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the next single... Uh, or the single around that time was the little girl I once knew. I'm not sure offhand which came first, but you know there was little girl came album. first. Yeah. Yeah, and, but girl. I think I think actually it was still on the charts when Barbara Ann was released, and and maybe hastened the decline of Little Girl. Like I think Barbara Ann took off like a rocket. So people thought, well, I'm going to buy a Beach Boys single. I'm going to buy that one. It's fun. Yeah. It's a little bit easier to digest, uh, which is unfortunate because I know that was very frustrating for Brian. He considers Little Girl I once knew one of his best, and so do I. 
I remember when he did, I won't say it's his absolute first tour, but uh, first tour that I was able to go to way back, um, he opened with Little Girl I Once Knew. And so yeah. I think that was just his statement. What a great song that was. Yeah, I'm kind of a conspiracy theorist on Little Girl versus uh, Barbara Ann. I mean, they, it, uh, I, I don't know. It, it may have been off the charts. or You know, they say it's the, the silent uh, section in uh, Little Girl that had people stop playing it, DJ stop playing it. Uh, maybe one day you and I will do the uh, un- unexplained story behind that song. But we're on covers today, and that's Barbara Ann, and I agree, most overachieving cover song. All right, let me see if I can stump you with this one, or at least get, have a different choice. What did you pick for the most creative cover song? Most creative cover song? Yeah, I bet you didn't choose the one that I chose. Oh, well, okay. You want to go first? <laughs> go ahead. So I chose Old Folks at Home slash Old Man River. Oh, I love that. That's not my choice, but go ahead. So this is Brian in 1968 uh, dedicating a lot of time Mm. to uh, these old songs. Uh, I think it puts him very much in smile mode, like of of this idea of of resurrecting these these old uh, tunes of of American pioneer days or or shortly after that. Um, Of course, they did a song called South Bay Surfers, on uh, Surfer Girl, which uses the melody of Old Folks at Home, which is a you know a famous Stephen Foster song that dates back to 1851. But here they they did it sort of as a piano intro. We don't have a vocal part for it. I don't know if one was intended. Um, this was released uh, posthumously many years later on the Friends 2022 first CD. So it starts off with uh, a piano version of Old Folks at Home, and then segues into Old Man River, which is uh, 1927. Jerome Kern song it was in the um, musical showboat uh, and I, I think first of all you know it, it's brilliant to adapt these songs into the rock era I mean Brian wasn't the only person that did Old Man River around that time because the very same year Jeff Beck did their version uh, with Rod Stewart on vocals and that's very cool but but more of a bluesy kind of version this one really evokes like that pioneer spirit, I think. Uh, it sounds like a tack piano, horns, harmonica. So it, it, it's very true to a certain old-time music, but also feels very Beach Boys. It's, it's very yeah. upbeat. Uh, and Brian recorded many parts for it. We know that, um, that there, there was a slower vocal take uh, that came out on the Hawthorne, California collection that came out around 2001 or thereabouts. Um so we, we could tell that he was fidgeting a lot, and I think this was driving certain members of the band crazy, that Brian getting very obsessive again. But even in its unfinished state, I, I think it's uh, it stands very tall in their catalog. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it's beautiful. I want to use the word haunting. That's probably not the right word because you don't feel a negative. It, it's just so evocative, uh, be- beautiful. I love it. I, I just wonder if – I don't know if he meant it as what we might call a snippet or an insert, you know, uh, maybe in the, the smile, westward ho kind of stuff. But if he had, if the, that was a full two, three minute or more song, I mean, that might be one of their most beautiful ever. Even that snippet uh, comes close to some of the best sounds they've made. So good yep, choice. Good, good choice. So what did you Here's mine. Up? All right, we're worlds apart on this, which is good. Uh, and I, you know, you're much more uh, eloquent on your choice than mine. Mine is Surfing USA. Uh-huh. Most most creative cover, and the reason is not so much that it's a creative, uh, musically that it's creative. I think what's creative is it was a cover, and no one 
except insiders knew it. Um, you know, most of us, and I'm one of them, fans, Surfing USA, Beach Boys song, you know, I, if someone drew a line and said, nah, it's, Brian didn't write that song, you know, I mean, put your fists up here, we're, you know, we're going to go at it. Um, and then to learn, maybe some learned immediately, and but it took me maybe a couple of decades before I had heard that, oh, Chuck Berry actually wrote that song. So I'm giving him props, not from stealing his song, but from presenting a song. And for most, I'm guessing most of the DJs didn't know the difference. Uh, you're welcome to have a different opinion on that. But it, I just think most of us thought, hey, Brian hit a home run again. So to me, most creative cover. Any, you don't have to. Have you got any feedback on that or any comment? Well, I mean, yeah, it was it was uh, musically, you know, the melody to uh, Sweet Little Sixteen by Chuck Berry and the idea of rhyming off uh, different cities. I mean, in, in the original, it's all about places where this this girl in, in the song can can dance and party. Whereas, uh, you know, for for the Beach Boys, it was all about where uh, where you could surf, um, you know, and, and, and it, they borrow, and it's interesting, the Beach Boys borrow from a lot of different places. Uh, I believe a twangy guitar, uh, David Marks had said, uh, was borrowed from Dwayne Eddy, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I think you know, you're right. They, they, I think I read that recently, yeah. You know, and so th- this is, I mean, that's classic rock and roll. I mean, you can look at the early days of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones similarly. You know, if they weren't covering things outright, they were they were borrowing uh, from the, from the music that they loved and, and creating something new. I mean, you know, this is surf music. This is something different. Like, it has these origins in Chuck Berry and Dwayne Eddy, but, uh, you know, they, they've made it their own. I mean, it's such a great production, and uh, I, I hope Chuck Berry actually saw some money from it. I, I think Arc Music was uh, holding the publishing at that time, so maybe uh, he didn't. Okay. But, but yeah. you know, I, this was just a preemptive strike by Murray to make sure they didn't get sued. <laughs> All right, another category. I, I've, I've used the word transformative before speaking of Sloop John B, but other than that one, what would you say would be the most transformative from original to cover? In other words, it wasn't just, okay, obviously this is the Beach Boys singing, we know the song, but it's like it, it I don't want to use the word, you know, there was a transformation of the song, and you obviously were both subjective here, so you define that as you want, but what would you pick for a transformative cover from the original? Well, my choice would be kind of a, almost a follow-up to, to the previous one, and this would be off the Smile album, um, The Old Master Painter and You Are My Sunshine. Uh, mm. So here, here again, first of all, I mean, this is what makes Brian so ahead of his time, and I think people don't talk about this kind of stuff enough. I mean, he, he's mashing up two songs, first of all. Like that, that's a pretty interesting approach you know, at, at that time to take like two, uh, two old songs and mash them together, and they seem very seamless. Um, the Old Master Painter was, was a hit for people like Frank Sinatra in 1949. Uh, and so, again, we don't have a vocal. It's, it's, a, it's an instrumental intro to You Are My Sunshine. Now, You Are My Sunshine is a song that uh, was first released in 1939. And, and, and basically, you know, I think often uh, performed as being an upbeat song, You Are My Sunshine. It's, 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 it's talking happily about you know, from one person to another. There is that line, you know, please don't take my sunshine away. So there's a bit of, a bit of anxiety there. But, I mean, what Brian has done is very simple. He's just um, moved it to the past tense. And uh, you were my sunshine, 
how could you take my sunshine away? So it's already mm-hmm. happened, and it's sung by Dennis, mm-hmm. and it's a very gloomy song with some, you know, descending strings at the end, and almost like a, uh, a saxophone that seems to be like laughing, uh, uh, you know, at the narrator. It's uh, it's a it's a pretty creepy and effective piece of music, and not at all what it was originally intended to be. Yeah, another one of those. I'd love to hear the two three minute version of the thing. We're, we're getting just a a snippet, an insert, whatever it would have been, or maybe it was just, I won't call it a demo, but maybe it was just kind of playing around with it with the thought of giving it more time, but another uh, hauntingly beautiful sound that I'm glad we've got at least that little bit. I don't, I don't think there's more in the, uh, what do I know, but I don't think there's more in the, uh, the vaults, like the whole so-called record long version of it. Uh, I'm sure more of that would have come out in the smile sessions, but um, better to have that than nothing. Uh, I was uh, way in a different uh, uh, place. Uh, I picked, do you want to dance? And to me, now maybe transformative is an unfair word in choosing that song, but for me, it it transformed the Bobby Freeman version for me to, to certainly a beach boy version. Um, Bobby Freeman wasn't Motown, but, uh, you know, I, I understand some, you know, I may be coming at this from more of an ethnic point of view than, than a musical point of view, but uh, love, you know, both versions are great, but this, this one just seemed to, I mean, the, again, I use this word, but I know every, every song has sound, but it just, the, the, it was a sonic boom for me hearing that song. I don't know if that had to do with just, you know, how young I was and transistor radios and all that kind of thing, but uh it's it's amazing what Brian could hear when he heard the original version and produce something. And this wasn't, you know, this wasn't this isn't a good vibrations, but uh, I don't know. There's just it just for me, it's a song that draws me in. And I I can't dance, not good at it, don't do it. But I want to dance when I hear that song. I, you know, I want to get up and uh, try my best. I love it. It's a powerful, uh, it's a powerful song. It's one of my favorite uh, Beach Boys records for sure, uh, and it's got um, the Wrecking Crew using almost like a classical sound towards rock and roll, like big sounds yeah. like kettle drums and 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 all that. Uh, but, you know, the song has been covered a number of times, and um, you know, there's a version, uh, 1962, by Cliff Richard and the Shadows. Uh, I'm sure that Brian uh, was aware of that one and, and that influenced him. And if I'm not mistaken, um, Bell Shannon had a version of it on the radio, mm-hmm. like it was a minor hit, uh, just oh. before the Beach Boys version. So I imagine uh, maybe that was uh, what sparked Brian. I mean, I think one thing that's underrated about Brian, like we, we think of the Beach Boys as living in their own world, but they've always been attuned, or especially in the 1960s, to the music going on around them. They dug it, they fed off it, and they covered it. Good example of it. We'll just keep going here. Um, most embarrassing result. Obviously, another subjective, interpret that as you will, but I'm guessing we'll have different songs on this. You go first. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't, when I thought about it, I couldn't, I couldn't think of too many really bad covers that they've done, but one that I think was probably unnecessary was uh, Forever. Um, as sung by John Stamos on the Summer of Paradise Ah, album. okay. Um, you know, Dennis is a very unique guy, and he has a very unique voice, um, so it's pretty hard to try and replicate that. 
And, uh, I mean, that yeah. version, uh, you know, with, with all due respect to Mr. Stamos, I mean, they put it on that album because I believe it had played uh, on an episode of Full House in a wedding episode. Sure. So they were cashing in on that. And, you know, they did try to make it very contemporary, you know, with, with kind of like a metal guitar solo and all this. And it just, uh, I don't know, just, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, I call it, I, I, maybe one day we'll do a list of uh, what I'll call promotional recordings. In other words, uh, and I'm, I'm, mind, I'm mind reading here, but I'm not, you know, when you mentioned the full house connection, I just think, it, and I'll be, try to be neutral on it. It's it's Mike Love, the 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 businessman, who um, knows how to catch a younger generation of uh, fans, and you know they they hear the song and they like it because it's a good song, and their teen heart heartthrob is singing it as opposed to I'll speak for myself, me looking at it and saying is this as good as the original? Did it need to be done? That kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a good choice. The one I picked, and I know I, I have people throwing uh, stuff at me on this, but I picked Blueberry Hill from uh, 15 Big Ones. Right. And that's just a personal thing. I mean, Blueberry Hill is a great song. Fast Domino, I think, right? The way that, right? He's that's right. the original. Uh, how do you – it's just some thought – there's just some people uh, you may want to stay away from their stuff because it's such a signature, in my view, such a signature kind of uh, approach, vocal sound, song, whatever, and I don't know, maybe what I'm really saying here is most of the covers of 15 big ones, uh, just when when I first heard it, I mean, when it first came out, literally, you know, and ran home from the record store and put it on, I'm like, really? Um, now, maybe maybe you can uh, tutor me here on any of the songs, it's certainly on Blueberry Hill, maybe it's a lot better than I think, but I I, I was just very... Uh, whelmed at best, and probably not even that. Mostly, uh, mostly underwhelmed. And I just, and and a little bit of Mike's nasality there. I, I, you know, easy for me to pick. I'm not a singer. I'm not good at any of this stuff. They're great. That just maybe uh, embarrassing is too strong a word, but just wondered about that. Well, I think yeah. other other fans would probably use the same adjective. Uh, I, I think at the time, although it sold a lot of copies because people were dying for new Beach Boys product. Um, a lot of people did find it embarrassing. Uh, that one in particular, I think, was sort of the start of the sessions, and Brian was, you know, very nervous. Uh, he had all these musicians, you know, in front of him like in the old days, and he was expected to, to make magic right off the bat, and, you know, the session started with that one, and uh, he was very eager to sort of get it done and get out. Like uh, Earl Mankey, an engineer on that album, told me that, uh, he, you know, you could basically, at the beginning of that track, you can hear the musicians are still kind of warming up, and Brian's like already started recording. He, he just wants to get it done, you know. Like, okay, we're good. Like, I don't think he, he, you know, in the old days when he would go through 49 takes of something and drive everybody crazy because of his perfectionism here, he was just trying to, to get it uh, get, get it in done, and get out. Get out. But, yeah. In retrospect, I think that album is, is, is not as bad as it seemed at the time because it really does have, in many parts, like a quirky Brian Wilson musical quality about it. Um, maybe there's just too many songs. I know they wanted to celebrate their 15th anniversary and, uh, yeah. and all that, so they wanted 15 songs. If they lopped off maybe the three weakest cuts, it would be a more solid album because, you know, there were a couple of hit singles there in uh, rock and roll music, and it's okay. And... Uh, 
Susie Cincinnati's on that album. Like I, I think the originals are more interesting than than the covers. The, the one exception being uh, just once in my life, which I think is a fantastic cover that ends the album. Um, you know, song I think the Righteous Brothers did. Yeah, uh, but right. It's got that very unique. Uh, ahead of its time, Brian Wilson Moog synthesizer sound to it. And I think he but really. But it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, Brian Wilson loves you. Beach Boys love you. It's like yep. maybe a precursor to that. That yeah, sound. Yeah, and I, I I love that that track actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving us that, or at least me, uh, that and the, the context. Uh, you know, Earl talking about uh, Brian starting the tape before the musicians are ready. I mean, you know, again, I'm not. I'm not able to think real musically with notes and things, but just intuitively thinking this, this just, this isn't, this just doesn't seem to be going well here. Something's missing. And so maybe it was a little bit of that. That's why I think the stories around the song and not to do a commercial for your book again, but here I'll go. I mean, that's what you do with, uh, you know, uh, 50 sides of the beach boys and uh, you're, we need 50 more of those. So uh, I hope you're on, uh, on it, on that assignment. Okay. How about beautiful cover, terrible song? What I mean by that is uh, the, the result. I love the results, but why that song? You got one for that? Uh, yeah. How about? Okay. Well, I don't even think the the result is beautiful. But uh, how about uh, Wipeout with the Fat Boys? <laughs> I didn't think of that one. Go ahead. <laughs> so, I mean, this was actually one of their biggest hits uh, of of that era, the 1980s. Um, I think it was 80s, if not early 90s, but, you know, went to number 12 on the charts. But yeah. uh, taking taking the the instrumental song, Wipeout, Surf Classic, and then, you know, combining that with, with, with some some rap or hip-hop from the Fat Boys, it, it just, I mean, it's just one of those curiosities that makes you scratch your head. You know, they, they were trying to be contemporary, and I, I don't think they, they need to try to ever be contemporary they do their thing and, and let others follow uh so that's you know it, yeah it's just, it's just it's quizzical uh i just uh, i don't even know what to say about it but uh certainly a surprising Good. a surprise not not the wipeout is a surprise but doing it with a fat boy certainly was well i'm i would list that and if i had a list of these what i'm calling these promotional songs i mean of course they or mike or whoever was at point wanted it to be good and but and makes make sales and make money, but really thinking beyond that in terms of uh, my view, uh, reaching out to a different fan base that that certainly was one of them. And I think I read somewhere that they they did, they recorded on two different coasts. I mean, Beach Boys I think were West Coast or Florida or somewhere, and the Fat Boys in New York or something. So I don't know that they even really got together. But uh, right, yeah, good selection. Here's mine. Mine is Bluebirds Over the Mountains. Okay. Um, I, a terrible song is, is obviously I'm just using that language to make a make a point here. I don't, I don't know if it's terrible. It's just really my question is why Bruce? Why that one? And if you've got the answer in a second here, I'll, I'll you know maybe I'll can convert. But uh, again, when it first came blaring over the radio, I'm like, oh, a good be- a new Beach Boys song. Oh my goodness, what is this? And then they added the guitar, the Ed Carter guitar solo thing that felt like it was, like it was just parachuted into that place. Now, when we, now we have the benefit of hearing maybe some of the uh, studio takes, vocals only, instruments only, and I listen and I say, there's some beautiful stuff here, uh, but it's almost like one plus one plus one plus one, you know, vocals, instruments, et cetera, et cetera. You put those together and you get two instead of six. Uh, and obviously it didn't go very well, 
I've even tried over the years, as silly as this is, I'm sure it's laughable, but it's like, what if somehow the lyrics had been changed and it wasn't about bluebirds, uh, you know, she's gone over the mountains or I don't know, something that, that for me, I think the bluebirds thing, just people couldn't get past that. Any comment? I like it. <laughs> Maybe I'm you, the only You one. like the song. You like well, the song. I do. I do. Okay. I mean, so it's a, it's a rockabilly song that they sort of brought into the psychedelic era. And, and maybe the reason why I like it more than, than a lot of others do is because I, I was not familiar with the studio version for many years. I knew it from the live album, Live in London, or, or as it was called in North America, Beach Boys 69, which I got when I was a little kid in the, in the mid-70s. And listen to that version, because if, if, you, if you find that there are disparate elements that don't gel together well in the single, well, there they are performing it live on stage. So it, it does sound more seamless, and uh, it's got Ed Carter doing some great guitar. It's got a fantastic horn section, too, which really sells it. I, I mean, I love that whole album. Like, I think they were just hot that night, and uh, it's my favorite live album of theirs. And that, that's where I knew the song uh, from. I thought that was a pretty smoking version. The, the, the studio version is a bit slower, uh, lacks a little bit of energy, but uh, maybe going to the live version is the way to go. Well, that, you know what? Maybe that's a future conversation we would have. Uh, there's got to be several songs that, well, again, subjective. Everyone may have different lists. But I think there are some songs that I, I like better than recorded, and uh, I would agree with you. I think that's one of them. Uh, that Live in London album, <clears throat> um, everything that they played on that album was just, I thought, great. So Yeah. Good perspective. All right, I'm not sure I gave you this one. Uh, most underwhelming result. That's something I thought of late. Did, did I pass that one by you? You did. I was wondering. I was wondering what happened to that question. Yes, you did. Okay. So, what do you got? You got one? I, I'm going to get really obscure now. Okay. The, the battle hymn of the republic. <laughs> Are you desperate, or do you mean that? No, I, I definitely. Uh, if there's an underwhelming cover, I think that's it. Uh, collectors will know this one. Uh, it's been booted yes. before, and uh, I believe it was one of those songs. Um, you know, while they were sort of writing the endless summer success, uh, the greatest hit success, and people were, you know, waiting for new product, they got together at um, Jim Gersio's Caribou Ranch Studios, 1974. And uh, this is one of the things they decided to record. I don't know why. I mean, maybe because of the American Bicentennial coming up in 1976. Um, I know why they did it. Why did James, they do it? James Watt said, uh, uh, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> he said, I want <laughs> you to sing this at the July 4th. Yeah, maybe if they'd done that, James Watt wouldn't have made such a big stink about it. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I, you know, this is a this is obviously like you you know very famous song from 1861, and uh, you know you would expect maybe the Beach Boys could do something with it, but I mean it just goes on and on. Uh, it uh, Mike's love's not working. Uh, Mike Love's vocal is not working, and um, it, it's just there's no highlights to it. It's just uh, I mean. Maybe I'm cheating by picking something that they chose not to release, but you can certainly hear why. Well, it eventually got released in some form, so it's it's okay. Um, which one? What, I'm most underwhelming. Here. Yeah, most underwhelming. I picked, uh, thank you. It's so underwhelming, I can't even remember it. No, I love the song, and, and maybe this is just saying I wish it had, 
it just seems to be anyway the, the song is why do fools fall in love ah. um, another one you know during that 64 65 time whatever it was 63 64 time that brian was covering the songs uh they're all just so it sounds so corny so luscious i mean love wonderful songs uh taking great songs and making them speaking personally great greater for me because this is my favorite genre or sound sound that i like for music they did that certainly with um, Why Do Fools. And I think it was released as a single, but, you know, it... It, it was a B-side to Fun, Fun, Fun. Okay, that's it. It kind of got put in between. And they were still doing, in some cities, they were still getting double-sided hits. And, uh, I don't, you know, that's another thing we could talk about on a podcast sometime. It'd be fun to look at those and how they, they fared in different places. But um, I just felt, I just feel like this, maybe here's the better title for this, at least... Why do fools? Not necessarily the one you pick. Uh, f- most fall between the crack type of cover. It, it just, um, you know, when people hear it live, uh, I, I think I, I, I'm going to give Mike credit for this. I don't know for sure, but I think he's brought it into the live Beach Boys show as a Beach Boys song, and it, it's, it's, it's a, a hit when they play it. When they play it, everybody loves it. Um, I just don't think it gets much attention. So that's why it, I picked it as it's underwhelming. A glorious, it's a glorious record. Uh, you know, maybe number two to Sloop John B. I mean, that's how strongly I feel about it. I mean, Brian's vocal is fantastic. I mean, he, he took, you know, a doo-wop song, kind of a snap-your-fingers doo-wop song, and made it this whole Spectorian thing. And it gets even better because in 2009, when John Stebbins came across uh, these uh, unreleased uh, masters from that album, we get this whole 30-second piano intro which is very bold i mean oh my uh, goodness yeah that, that would that would have hurt you know its radio chances i'm sure if, if they'd released it that way but uh beautiful and i this was one of the very first if not the first um track where brian had the wrecking crew you know in full mm-hmm. force and uh it's it just it's it's a perfect recording it's uh it's got great pace to it i mean it's on it's you know of a piece with little girl i once knew that kind of thing Mm, very, very well said. Just keep going. Uh, great original, disappointing cover. You got one for that? Great original, disappointing. Cover. That may have, yeah. that may be. You got one, or is that the one? I'm, I do, I, I do. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, student demonstration time. Ah, yeah, good pick. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Which is not to say that that song is all bad or anything. I don't mean to say no, that. No, I don't think it is. I agree. The, the, um, the Beach Boys had taken, I mean, we know that Mike, you know, like Brian and Al, like, like all of them, Mike was a big fan of, of R&B music. And so this is a, a song from 55 or so or 56 by the Coasters, Riot in Cell Block Number 9. And the right. Beach Boys had uh, taken to covering that um, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, I believe there's a version of them performing it with the Grateful Dead at the Fillmore. Um, so that, that was a very cool choice. Uh, and you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of a, you know, you, the coasters are almost known sometimes for, for novelty type songs, but I mean, you know, there's some social message in there. I mean, it's talking about a certain population of the country that, that, that whose song is not often sung in, in the top 40, right? People in, right. in, incarcerated. Right. So I, I think Mike realized that. So he, uh, thought this was a good song to, to maybe even make more contemporary. And so he wrote, uh, about all the student demonstrations and, and you know what happened at Kent State and all this uh, for the Surf's Up album 1971 when the band was trying to sound very hip. Uh, 
it, it's a great record, uh, meaning it's very well produced. I mean, the, vo the, vo the lead vocal sounds like it's being sung through a through a megaphone, which is very smart. There's, there's great yes. effects on it, great guitar. So it, it, it it's a good track. I, I just find that this is where Mike is trying to be a little bit too clever with the lyrics, lyrics that don't necessarily makes sense in terms of what he's trying to say that he's just trying to find yeah. the clever rhyme you know so i think i think it's it's underwhelming in that sense but certainly not all bad i think that's a great choice did not cross my mind even consider it and the one i'm going to say I, i'm going to duck because uh i'm not sure i even agree with myself or even if i do i'm sure there's a, a wave of people who would say you've got to be kidding great original disappointing cover disappointing meaning in comparison to the to the, to the original. I'm already uh, trying to make a, a defense here for my choice. I pick I Was Made to Love Her. Mm. Now, I know that's on Wild Honey. It's, it's, it's very good. I'm not saying it, you know, it's not a Blueberry Hill sound to me. Um, I just don't know, and this is maybe where not being musically smart uh, gets me. Uh, I just don't know that it uh, took it anywhere. It... Um, I'm not going to say too much about this because if you're dismantling me, I don't want to give you a lot to dismantle, but uh, I like it. I'm glad it's on uh, Wild Honey. Maybe uh, maybe it's one of those R&B songs that I want to sound more like the original than, than the Beach Boys, and to me it was kind of in the middle. That's the best I can say. You can rebut that. Go for it. Uh, I love it. I, I do. I mean... <sighs> Wild Honey is just a great album. I think you can almost the origins of the whole album sort of stem from that song. I mean, they were trying on a lot of those tracks to do a Stevie Wonder type sound. Yeah. And uh, so there you go. They're giving hats off to, to Stevie. And I think Carl gives a this is this is the point in, in the band's history where Carl is taking over as their lead vocalist, really. And he gives really, a great yeah. performance. Sounds like a very impassioned, you know, teenager, I guess. And uh, it's got speed to it. And you know. The original is perfect. You don't have to try and improve on the original, but it it, it moves a bit slower and it's more guitar based. Whereas this one is it has a very fast piano uh, going, and uh, I think that works really well. But I mean, you know, I, there are probably a lot of people that agree with you. Uh, a lot of people, when Wild Honey came out, thought it sounded all wrong, and, and I'm sure some people think it sounds all wrong today. I, I personally love it, and uh, I'll give you an interesting uh, reference here. Robert Criscow, who is you know maybe the most revered music critic out there. I mean, he's been writing for the, he started writing for the village voice more than 50 years ago. And, and now he's doing his, his own thing online. He's still at it. And in the 1970s, um, he was asked to compile his top 10 albums of all time. And wild honey was there, you know, this little album, like this little beach boys R and B album, you yeah. know, this great critic is calling one of the 10 best albums of all time. And, and one of the things that he really liked about it is he gave Brian major props for covering Stevie Wonder back in 1967. This song was not a classic when Brian covered it. This song had been out a couple of months, and, and nobody was covering Stevie Wonder. But, but Brian, he had the ear to, to know right away this was a great song, and so he went ahead and covered it. Like I just like that kind of spontaneity. Like He hears something on the radio, and all of a sudden the Beach Boys have a cover version, you know, and then I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority, but I think it works. No, you're preaching well. Um, I'm confessing my sin. Uh, it's it's uh, it's wonderful. Um, I love the conversation. Uh, you up for a few more? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, best cover, best Beach Boy cover of an instrumental. Yes, uh, I'm going to really surprise you here. Um, 
I'm going to pick the rocking surfer off Surfer Girl. <laughs> yeah, I am surprised. Go ahead. I always just love this track. There, there are two very good instrumentals buried on that album, and that album is, is fantastic when you think about it. Like I think it kind of gets overlooked sometimes, but there's so many classic Beach Boys songs, more so than any album deserves on that particular album, and uh, those instrumentals I think are very strong because I mean this is the point where Brian is in control as producer. There's no Nick Vinay there as right. there was for the first two albums. It's Brian in the in the facilities that he wants to record in calling the shots, you know, and uh, I always just loved the way this sounded. It had kind of a manic kind of like carnival sound to it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Organ. Uh, and I didn't know much about it. Like, I mean, it is a cover, and I didn't know where it came from, so I had to do a little research, and um, so it turns out that uh, a group called the Tri-Five had uh, just covered this uh, themselves in March 1963, and this uh, comes via Craig Slowinski, the great uh, sessionographer of the Beach Boys. Oh my, yes. Yeah. And so, um, and they got it from apparently this is a, this is like an old Czech folk song, and and that information comes from Lee Dempsey, who is the uh, editor emeritus of uh, Endless Summer Quarterly. Uh, so yeah, so you know, f- from a, a Czech folk song, and apparently this this refrain, this this melody was used as good humor music in Southern California at the time. So I guess when the ice cream man was coming, you'd be hearing this tune. Didn't know that. You know, and so uh, yeah, so Brian, uh, you know, he he would have been familiar with it from from the Tri Five song and and from that, and uh, I think he he did a, a really great instrumental. I would love to like score a scene in a, in a movie or a TV show where there's a chase going on through a carnival and that song is playing. I think it would be perfect. Oh, I love it! Great, great. I I picked. Um... Let's go tripping from their uh, live that concert. That was one that, that I bumped for Rocking Surfer. So glad that I did. So we had two different ones. Yeah, good. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I just think they did, and uh, in, in one of our categories here that that I kind of threw at you late. I'm not sure you you want to go into it, but one of the categories is you know the concert album, also Party and Christmas and some others, even an early album, uh, have a more than one or two. There's like three, four uh, covers, seven covers on, on Party. Um, so uh, trying to even pick uh, out of that concert album, which is the best, well, this would obviously be the one that I would pick. Uh, I think they replicate pretty well most of the songs that they try to cover, but I just think, and especially in a live setting, and especially knowing, I mean, having been to, I wasn't at that concert, but concerts at that time, I mean, basically it was just, I mean, the, you know, I don't know the exact names of all the speakers they had, Leslie speakers or what they were, but I mean, it's today we use more power than that in a room that sits, seats 200 people. Uh, so for right. them to be able to produce uh, that kind of sound and make it a, as beach boyish as it can or should be, it's just a great song all on its own. Anyway, uh, I just thought that that was a good, good cover job of an instrumental. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was a that that song, that tune was a big part of their live performances in their early days. They they always yeah. did it. And well, well, it should have been. Um, okay, how about sticking with live performances? Uh, best uh, cover in a live performance. What'd you pick? You um, 
okay, so just just to check, there's also a most unexpected cover category. Um, yes. So I, for I, best, yeah, we haven't got the end. Go okay, ahead. so best live because I didn't want I didn't want to overlap. I didn't sure. depended on uh, whether they both existed. So I'm going to pick for best live performance. Their hearts were full of spring, Ooh, off okay. um, live in London, again uh, because. Uh, I mean, the, the whole Beach Boys sound comes from the four freshmen, and, and comes maybe from this very song. You know, this mm. is what this is what Brian used to find the balance of voices. This uh, this acapella song with a very touching and simple story about a about a, a, a gentle boy and tender girl who who have a great romance that that transcends their own lives and uh, it's very touching and 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 uh, unfortunately brian's not on this version because he, he didn't tour with them at that time but the group has a bang-up job and you could hear a pin drop in there and and the fans go crazy afterwards like it's uh, it's a beautiful performance of, of a beautiful song that's that's very significant to the beach boys career yeah yeah they have uh in the right sense of the word used used that song in settings where obviously no instrumentation or i think they might have done it with uh President Reagan and Nancy yep. Reagan in a setting. It's like, hey, sing us a song. Well, you know, uh, perfect, perfect song. And as you say, it relates to their history. The, the song that I picked, and maybe I'm just saying it's, it's maybe a favorite, but uh, uh, I, I certainly thought Dennis did a good job singing The Wanderer in their first concert album. Yep. It wasn't perfect. Uh, and but, but see, I think for Dennis, that, that's why... Again, I always go back to the first time I heard it. It was like, oh, wow, he does sing. Now, obviously, you know, he's had songs uh, on previous albums where he, uh, you could hear him or he took a lead. Uh, his real big lead with Do You Want to Dance hadn't happened yet. Um, so this was like, you know, all of us who were uh, Denny's fans, not for the sexual uh, energy he had, but just because uh, he, he was a drummer, uh, it's like, yay, you know, the drummer, it's kind of like the Ringo, maybe it's the Ringo thing, you know, hey, he's singing a song, and I thought he did a good job, and whether he chose it or whoever chose it for him, I mean, it really spoke to who he, he was, uh, you know, this wandering guy who always was uh, interested in finding uh, uh, some females to spend some time with. Like um, a theme song. Yeah, I remember, and maybe I've shared this before, just a little snippet of meeting him, a friend and I, uh, who was musical and really turned me on to the Beach Boys, understanding the musical prowess, someone named Dave Hombo. But anyway, uh, I don't know how we knew where their hotel was back then in 60, uh, what would it be? I don't know, 67, 68, Chicago concert, out he comes, and we introduced ourselves, and, you know, he was polite, but... Basically, he was looking for a section of Chicago called Old Town, where a lot of hippies were and that kind of thing. He said, hey, you guys know where that is? And we said, sure, we can drive you there, you know. So obviously, we had to drive to get to where he was. And long story short, you know, he was nice. In fact, he had to pay to get the car out because my buddy lost his parking ticket. I'm sure Denny slipped the guy 50 bucks or 100 bucks or something to get us out. But anyway, it, it so was did you, a, you give Dennis a drive? Yeah, yeah, we did. My friend had a 65 Mustang at the time. So this was 67, 68, maybe 67. And, you know, it was in a parking lot near the hotel. And uh, so Denny pays to get it out and he hops in. And I, I it was another one of, for me, those uh, surrealistic experiences. And instead of thinking, 
what do I want to ask this guy or, or even to say something meaningful like, you know, I enjoyed your song on the concert. I don't know what I said. If anything, instead I'm thinking about the fact that I wasn't able to articulate myself. So watch, watching myself not, not, not use the, uh, the moment as much as I'd like. So we had some time with him and found Old Town and he took off and I think he made it back in time for the concert. So, but... <laughs> But anyway, he was the that's wanderer, great. and that, that's the song I picked. And maybe it's, again, a lot of my picks just personal, and that's fine. Okay, a uh, couple more here if you if you got some time. Yep. What do you think is the best performance by a Beach Boy of a Beach Boys original? And I'm play, playing around here a little bit. You don't have to answer this because I'm, I'm kind of searching for something. But anyway, what, what do you, did anything come to your mind? A well, beach one boy thing that came to my boy. mind was uh, Dennis covering "Only with You," which is his own composition, okay. um, which uh, appeared on the Holland album, a song that he co-wrote with Mike, sung by Carl, a ballad they used to do it in concert, and uh, it's just different when Carl sings it and when Dennis sings it. I, I mean that for for any song, you know. And uh, sure. so I guess Dennis felt like he wanted to express something with that song so around the time of Pacific Ocean Blue he uh, he did his own version and uh, and I think I prefer that one to the original ah, I had not thought of that one yeah, I love your list glad we're doing this I'd love I picked to hear one what well you're going to well, I won't say what you're going to do uh it's a song that it's uh it's from the 80s but the version I'm talking about came out in our time right now early September maybe like 8 days ago it, the song it's okay and mike love has uh redone it a, another song he felt needed to be redone he's covered a beach boy song and he did it with hansen i don't know if you're aware of that yes uh yeah and i just thought uh he didn't murder it i don't think but it was interesting that uh we still have beach boys covering their own songs your thoughts on it's okay by the hand. Well, I, I love I love the original, and, and so yeah. that's why I, I have a hard time with uh, with the cover version. I mean, I, I think it's great that it's a song that they're doing. I've I've talked to Mike about the song, uh, and and he loves it as well. And uh, he still is kind of bitter that they didn't release it until the end of the summer in 1976, like late August. Like yeah. maybe they should have released that one as the first single because it was an original, as opposed to rock and roll music. Maybe it would have been a bigger hit. It still went to, I think, number 29 on the charts. Uh, but I love it. Uh, you know, and, and the problem is when you cover it, you lose this quirky instrumental track that, that Brian came up with with uh, Roy Wood you know, from the move and ELO, like he helped Brian yeah. with that one. There's a story about it in my book. And, and it's, it's typically quirky. And uh, just to hear the Wilson brothers' voices on it, and, and Dennis sings the bass vocal on that one, and he also sings the Find the Ride tag, which is great. So it's just hard to, to love a song when it's missing those uh, those fantastic elements. Yeah, totally agree. I do, I do like Mike's version or cover of It's Okay better than the cover he did. Could be a year ago now, I don't know, but of do it again. I, I did not uh, like that one as much as this one. I didn't like it at all, really. I don't know about if you remember that one. I do. Yes. Yeah. I mean, again, like why, why bother? It's like why bother? Feeling on that. Any, any, uh, we've kind of covered a lot of this, but any that would be like the most unexpected cover, like, wow, wouldn't it, wouldn't, uh, on one hand, as we're talking, it's like, we should expect anything. Look at the, I mean, how many different genres and time periods and, 
but is there any that come comes to your mind as an unexpected cover? Absolutely, and uh, maybe it's a cheat because it's a live cover, but uh, how about Jumpin' Jack Flash? Oh, okay, go with that. Go ahead. So in the uh, early and mid-'70s, uh, Mike decided that uh, he wanted to end some shows with uh, with Jumpin' Jack Flash and, and fun, fun, fun. And, uh, you know, it sounds like, ugh, this, this, this could be bad, but it's not. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> the, the versions that I've heard uh, are, are pretty darn good. I mean, it sounds like they have uh, some female background vocalists, pretty good horn section, and, uh, you know, Mike would sort of mimic Mick Jagger as he did it. I, I think it's cool that they would, they would dare to do that, and, uh, and, and I think they pulled it off, and uh, it's a surprise to many people. And it, it's, just, uh, it's just unfortunate that we don't have an official version of this available. It was going to be on the 1973 uh, concert album, uh, which was originally projected to be a, a one-disc album. And then they decided to expand it to two discs, but for some reason that song was lopped off. So we know it exists, and uh, they really should release it uh, one day. Well, Mike hadn't made his comments about Mick Jagger uh, in 1973, so I don't think Mick would have give, refused them permission, but maybe after that he wouldn't have appreciated some of the things Mike said about it. Even him. in yeah. recent years, though, yeah, Mike has said that he doesn't like the Rolling Stones, which, I mean, Brian would never say that. Brian loves the Rolling Stones. But um, yeah, yeah. but it's just it's just I think I think Mike doesn't like their <laughs> notorious lifestyle more right. than anything. Uh, but but even in recent years, uh, he has performed Jumpin' Jack Flash in concert. Cool. Well, the song I picked was uh, "The Times They Are a Changing," um, party album. Uh, when it, you know, again when it first came out, it's like whoa, a Dylan tune by the Beach Boys at a party. Uh, really? But uh, it gave Al a chance to shine. Um, and what I didn't realize at the time, and I don't want to give them more credit as being, you know, social prophets or anything. I mean, it was a Dylan song. But they weren't just, you know, sitting on the beach looking at the girls and surfing. I mean, they did that. But they were so there was social consciousness along the way and certainly we we see it we could pick a bunch and maybe that'd be another good podcast to do uh social consciousness of the beach boys but you know don't go near the water uh that kind of thing uh welfare song so so they you know began to sing about things other than loop-de-loop flying in an airplane so uh, this was one of my first encounters with them doing that and uh I don't know that it was stunning because it's the Beach Boys party, you know, and and yet uh, I think they did a, I think they did a credible job of covering that song. How do you Absolutely. feel? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it gives uh, Al a spotlight. Uh, his voice is great on that. And, uh, you know, he's the folky in the group, so it, it allows him to do, you know, what he wants. And it shows that the Beach Boys are, are definitely paying attention to, to the music and, and what's going mm-hmm. on around them at that time. Well, we should wind this down, but uh, maybe just pick, uh, is there a song? Maybe there's a couple of songs I want to mention briefly here. Any song, any cover that you want to mention, whether you give it an award or not, just for whatever reason, what comes well, to mind? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, the one that we have not mentioned, and it only really occurred to me in the course of our conversation, but I, I would like to change one of my answers. All right. For most transformative cover, what about Kokomo? Oh, okay. Unpack that a little bit. 
so if you, this is a song that was written originally by John Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas and uh, Scott McKenzie, who he had a long partnership with. They did uh, San Francisco Wear Flowers in Your Hair back uh, for the Monterey Pop Festival. So, I mean, this, uh, John Phillips was trying to resurrect the Mamas and the Papas in some form in the 80s, I guess, and um, wrote this mm-hmm. song, which is a very mellow, in its original form, it's a very mellow kind of adult contemporary song, uh, sort of wistful about uh, a love affair that is over, you know, remembering you know, a, a tropical trip they took, you know, kind of a, kind of a mellow downbeat song. So I, you know, Mike's got to be given credit here for taking this Mike and Terry Melcher who produced it right. uh, and, and, and turning it into an upbeat sing along rock and roll song. Uh, of course, this is the song that pe- that people are most divided on in terms of the beach boys canon. Um, but I mean, a number one song is a number one song and, you know, for the beach boys to score a number one song in 1988 is, is just uh, miraculous. And uh, yeah. So Mike, Mike, he turned it from he turned it from past tense to present tense. Like the relationship is happening, so it's more yes. positive. And uh, he added hooks to it, uh, the whole Aruba Bahama. And you know, it's it's an earworm. Like love it or hate it, it's an earworm. Yes. And uh, they really reaped a, a big success with it. Oh, good insight. Uh, I I discovered recently that I hated it because Brian wasn't on it. That, I and, think a lot of fans would agree with you for that reason. And, you know, there's defense that, you know, he could, they couldn't get him on it. They, even they say they tried. I, I believe all that. But even if it's not true, I'm thinking, but you know what? There's a whole bunch of other songs that have been done. That, I mean, Mike wasn't on all the Friends songs. Right. Um, you know, Ellen wasn't on the cover of uh, Summer Days. I mean, so, so in order to have this group around us for these now 55 years or whatever, whatever it is, I mean, um, you know, just not everybody can show up at the same time. There's a whole bunch of songs. I mean, it may have been a couple albums. Years, Dennis Phil. 57. Okay, I'm trying to keep keep younger here. Uh, I mean, there was times Dennis wasn't even in the studio for any, you know, several of the songs on an album. So I'm just trying to begin to enjoy the song for what it is and what it achieved, and you you said it well. I'll go from there to a song, and again, don't have a... a necessary uh, an award title for it but uh get you back uh i didn't like it a lot when it came out and again that might be because uh i didn't feel brian i I didn't feel brian's fingerprints or vibes in it i don't know but what happened to me was when i heard uh, david marks do it live i liked it when i heard the the live, you know then the live recording came out and of course bought that and listened to it it's like, okay, now I like that song. And it's not so much the story, although part of his story is, yay, Dave, you know, let's get David back up there and, and not just give him a throwaway. So I thought, he, I thought he did a very good job. And I'm probably overrating it because I want it to be good. But anyway, uh, Beach Boys doing a cover of their own song and doing it better. It, now, not everyone would agree it's better, but to me, it, it gave me that song to enjoy in a way I hadn't before. Any well, yeah, and, that? you know, fun, funnily enough, a lot of people might say that uh, Get You Back is a cover of Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen. Uh-huh. That's a good one. <laughs> but, well, and uh, I'll – go ahead. Uh, well, I, I do like Get You Back. I, I, I even like the original studio version quite a lot, and uh, it, it's a catchy song. It's it's very nostalgic, but it works. And uh, and I, I, had, I had noted this as well. Um, 
I, 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 you know, David Mark sort of covers it, and uh, I think uh, it, it did very well on their tour. I remember I was uh, I was hearing them do it in Soundcheck, and and I thought it sounded great. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good choice. I'll pick another one. Uh, Blondie singing "Lead on Sail on Sailor." I'll call that a cover of a song, kind of like Surfing USA and uh, Kokomo, as you mentioned. Uh, I had a chance to speak to Ray Kennedy on the phone. Don't have any idea how I got his phone number, but. Um, actually, now I do remember. But anyway, that doesn't matter. Just hearing him talk about, uh, he kind of had a chip on his shoulder. It was like, hey, this was a song that existed before we, he, this isn't a quote of his, but kind of before the, we gave it to the Beach Boys or, you know, Van Dyke kind of came in and said, here, let's bring this to Pryant, otherwise their album's not going to come out, you know, the whole story about that. But certainly the Sail on Sailor version that Brian and Van Dyke and Ray Kennedy and Tandem, um, uh, somebody on that. Uh, Tandem Elmer. Yeah, Elmer, yeah, exactly. Uh, that, you know, the Beast Boys version, I think, is classic. It's a phenomenal song. Uh, but I'll consider it a Beach Boys doing a cover with Blondie taking the lead. You're welcome well, to Well, yeah, that, I didn't think of that. That is, that is very true. It, it is a song that had, uh, that had come out earlier. Um, uh, KGB was the, the name of the group. And uh, it had Mike Bloomfield, the great Mike Bloomfield on guitar, Carmen wow. yeah. Apice on uh, drums, great drummer, and, and Rick, Rick Gretsch on, on bass. And, uh, I mean, that, that version is so different. It's, it's about uh, a coked-up gospel singer who's uh, down on his luck. And so mm -hmm. the lyrics were obviously changed. Um, I, but, yeah, th that's probably one of the murkiest uh, origin stories of a song we can think of. A lot of people have argued. I mean, a lot of people say it started as a demo between Brian and Van Dyke. So who knows how all these people jumped on it, including Jack Riley. Um, yeah. But but I think it's great uh, for Blondie. Like, that's Blondie's great moment, you know, as a beach boy, because uh, I think he could relate to that song with its sort of naval theme, because here's a guy that, you know, at a very young age had, had come over – from uh, South Africa to England, where Carl Wilson discovered uh, their group, The Flame. Um, so he, he understood about, you know, these big life moments that, that happen on, 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 a, on a boat trip, you know? And I mm -hmm. think he, uh, he puts a lot of that into the vocal, and it's, it's one of their great records for sure, yeah, especially in the 70s. Any other songs you want to mention for whatever reason? Um, I got two I, more. I could so just rhyme off. Uh, we talked about maybe what... Um, you know, was the best performance by each vocalist on a cover. So I, I can just rhyme off all my choices for you that we yeah. haven't mentioned so far. Yeah, go for that. So, so for Mike, and I'm surprised I'm going to say this, but rock and roll music, uh, I didn't like the original version, but since they've uh, remixed it, I think the way that it was uh, intended, this, uh, I guess, came out on, on the recent Made in California box. I think it sounds great. So now... All right, now do I'm a timeout. Do a timeout. You just mentioned about remixing. How There are several... I don't have a list of them, but there are several songs that, you know, people like yourself, researchers, experts, commentators say, yeah, th this sounds much better than the one they released. Uh, maybe this sounds, just shows my naivete, but why, they must have, didn't they know that? Why would they release something that's murky or, or too much in the background or this is too much in the forefront? I mean, well, maybe. I mean, I think they were thinking of AM radio and, and the audio limitations of that. Like, so trying to keep yeah. it a little simpler and uh, shorter because uh, they they locked off a whole verse uh, that has reappeared. Um, and yeah, I think yes, uh, you're right. It, it's really transformed for me into a song that I didn't like <laughs> into a song that I really do like. 
Okay, I interrupted so, you, Mike. That's now Mike. You keep going. Uh, yeah, you keep going. Al, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna jump in. You keep going. Okay. For Al, uh, come go with me. Ah, that's what I did have. I, <laughs> I just said I wasn't gonna say. It. That's the one I picked. Yeah, go ahead. A great vocal by him. Uh, I thought it was Carl the first time I heard it because you rarely hear Al singing in that higher register. Um, but that, that, that's a perfect cover right there. Uh, for Brian's best vocal performance on a cover, I, I picked Why Do Fools Fall in Love. We already talked about that. Um, for Carl's best, uh, I hear Sorry about that. Tapped my phone. You still there? Yeah. Uh, start over with what you're saying, please. Sorry, where do you want me to start? Um, you pick it at Brian. Take it from there. Just, just in case. Uh, for for Brian's best vocal performance on a cover, um, I choose Why Do Fools Fall in Love. We talked about that one already. Uh, for right. Carl's best, I can hear music. Uh, cover of uh, an obscure Ronette song, uh, and I think one of the great vocals in, in Beach Boys history, soaring vocal, beautiful. Um, for Dennis's, I mean, this is a, an interesting choice. I think you are so beautiful. Uh, now we call this a cover, but uh, you know, a lot of recent research, including my own, has has shown that Dennis was involved in writing this song. Billy Hinchy uh, is witness to that. Uh, it's credited to um, Billy Preston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, everyone wondered why did Dennis sing this very popular song when he could have sung one of his own, and now we realize it was one of his own. He just didn't like to talk about it. But uh, So we do have a 1980 version from the Live at Nebworth album, and I would love to hear uh, a, a released version when his voice was in a little bit better shape, say circa 1976. Hopefully that'll yeah. be fun. Um, for Bruce, I'm going to pick your song, the Elton John tune, which he used to do in the early 70s. I think uh, it was a good showcase for his, his vocals and uh, keyboarding abilities. Uh, for David, I'm picking Get You Back, which we also talked about. And uh, for Bondi, I'm going to choose Feel Flows because uh, now that he's touring with, uh, with Brian and Al, he does that one in concert, and it's he fantastic. Does. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it sort of gives that song the, the spiritualism that, that, uh, that it calls for. Very cool. All right, last but not least, uh, Christmas album. Really, if you think of it, it's just a whole bunch of covers after their originals. Um, I'll just start off. You don't have to have one. If you do, you know, pick it up when, when I'm done. Um, I, I think all of them are done well. Um, but for me, and again, very subjective, uh, the one that stands out is We Three Kings. The reason for that partly, of course, is um, – Christian, I've sing it in church at Christmas. Uh, you know, it, it it's spiritual with a capital S for me. But just the way that it starts out, how they bring orchestration, it's still that Beach Boy sound. It, it sounds like a hymn, but not real. I mean, you know, beyond that, um, maybe I'm stretching it. A lot of people just hear it and maybe press the skip button. But uh, for me, I think it's uh, maybe I should say, you know, it's an unexpected cover, except of course they did a Christmas album what would ever lead them to even consider that song. I would, that takes me to, I would love to, to hear, you know, uh, I've wished for this conversation with Brian to say, Brian, I'd love to hear you do a gospel album. And to me, gospel would of course mean black African-American gospel, which they've done a couple tunes of, but, but also gospel meaning the, the, the selection of, you know, hymns of the church, so to speak throughout history. I just think he they'd be stunning, 
And from a musical point of view, I, I, you know, people who don't believe in Christ, I think, still enjoy, can en- enjoy this song. But certainly those of us who have faith in that, in, in that message, um, it's just very inspiring. So for me, well, that's At the very cover, least, you're, you're going to get Brian to uh, tour behind the Christmas album this year. I know. I never thought, I n- never would have thought that they'd do that thing, you know, cover to so-called stop to bottom, cover to cover. That should be a fun experience. Well, the one that I would choose is uh, a bit of a cheat in that it's a B-side bonus track, but The Lord's Prayer. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I believe this was released as a B-side um, mm-hmm. uh, back in the Little day. Saint, wasn't it on Little St. Nick, uh, the first uh, single? No? I'm not sure offhand, but we did get it uh, as a bonus track later on. Uh, right. And, and what a beautiful... I mean, it's some, it's a song that everybody's familiar with, and and what a beautiful uh, arrangement, very very rigorous, serious arrangement um, that Brian has done. I mean, strange thing for a, for a pop group to do in 1964, uh, right. and it was it was so good, and I think you know meant so much to them that uh, it was actually scheduled to be on their last Capitol album in 1969. So just like they had included our prayer on 2020 for the for the following album, which is known as Reverberation or some other titles, but right. they were gonna they were gonna do like a rechanneled stereo version of that song. So uh, I, I think that's uh, that's incredible in and of itself. Oh, good comments. Yeah, I, I, when I hear it, I mean, again, uh, I, I say it, Lord's Prayer means a lot to me personally. The the, the prayer as well as their song. But musically, uh, I guess I I want to bring that song into 65, 66, a couple of years later, where maybe there's more, can I, fullness isn't the best word, but more of a uh, more of a Beach Boys sound to it. It, it has a Beach Boys sound because I know those voices, I know who's singing. But the arrangement, I guess, is what I'm talking about. Um, but that's that's just a Beach Boy fan wishing every song in the world sounded like a Beach Boy song. Um, yeah, for them to tackle that, um, I want to be careful in this statement. You know, I don't want to say anything about their any individual's faith in the Beach Boys that that's for them to say or not to say. But but they they did grow up in in Christian context. The you know the Dennis Carl Bryan in a Presbyterian church, Mike in a Lutheran church, um, and so this this is the kind of thing they did at Christmas time for sure. You know, maybe that was even one of the songs. So. Um, Really great, great, and glad that those two songs are associated with uh, with that Christmas album. Well, anything you want to say before we uh, sign off here? I, I think we've covered uh, maybe all ninety of those uh, <laughs> that you talked about at the beginning of the conversation. I had no expectation we'd get this far, but uh, fun for me. Love your choices, and uh, really appreciate what you can do to take uh, a true fact and then keep it true and expand it to the context. So thanks for joining me. I hope we can do uh, another one of these uh, sometime down the road soon. You bet, Phil. Always a pleasure. Thank you.